what's your what's your life like at home oh my life like at home um well i've been taking care of my family a lot because um i'm the main income provider of the household mm. and i guess like while we're on this topic i'll just get into um a story about what happened with my family with my dad specifically so at the end of 2020 i was at one of my i was at <coughs> massa a massa meeting or whatever and i got a phone call from my mom and <coughs> she was just crying and I, I was like what's happening and she's like there's an ambulance in front of our house like i don't know what's happening uh, dad's not moving and um I rush home right away and I see my dad just sitting on the couch and he's limp. He's conscious, but he can't move a single limb and we're just not sure what happened to him. Um, <clears throat> and then the ambulance, they came in and even they weren't sure like what the heck's happening to him. Um, and then they carried him, brought him to the hospital, Monash Hospital, and... Um, they told us that his aorta ruptured and most people don't live that it's basically an artery that connects to the heart yes yeah um and because of that rupture it caused a stroke so he's got like two things happening at once and they said we need to do surgery on him immediately and so they did it was a 10-hour surgery and I was just, I just remember, I was just waiting the whole time. Like, I couldn't believe it was real. I was just thinking that, you know, maybe this is just a nightmare. Maybe I can just pinch myself and I'll wake up. But um, I remember just staying in my bed, just waiting. And then I saw the daylight hit. And I got a text from my mum saying the surgery went well. And I was, I was relieved, but like, I was also scared. Because now that it's gone well, like, what's next? I've never, like, I've never seen or experienced, like, such a close person to me um, go through such, like, a lengthy surgery. So I had no idea what to expect. And so in the next day, I went to the hospital, and he was in the ICU, and he was completely unconscious. And I just remember the sight of seeing all the tubes, like, coming out of him. And it just... It just hit me like, shit, my life's about to change, like, drastically from this uh, from this moment on. And I was just looking at my dad, and he was so pale, and um, he was just unconscious lying there. And <clears throat> he actually stayed in the ICU for a whole month, and which is completely crazy. He was mostly unconscious um, for the whole time. And it was only towards the end of the month where he started, you know, opening his eyes a little bit mm. and, like, twitching his fingers. And I remembered, like, getting a glimpse of hope. I was like, shit, he's going to get better now. Like, now that he's finally awake, you know, now that he's, like, moving his fingers and stuff, like, he's going to he's gonna get better. Like, he'll be back. So that, that was in December. Like, I, I was thinking he'll be back by Feb. And, like, it's been two years since then, pretty much, you know. And shit's still not quite there. So what happened after was he got moved to one of the wards. And um, 
he had a tube like just in his throat mm-hmm. and just so he can breathe and um it was removed for maybe one hour a day so that he could try to talk and i remember like when he first started talking again he was just saying like random words just like random mumbo jumbo like america las vegas just random words and um i asked if he recognized me and he was just looking at me and just like thinking and he's like i don't know and that that shit kind of broke me Mm. like um i knew from that moment on we had a lot to work on but i didn't want to break down in front of him i wanted to just keep keep a positive image so I, I was like joking around I was like what do you mean you don't know who I am you know who I am and I was like I'm Richard and he was like oh yep Richard and I could tell like he wasn't exactly quite there yet but it would take some time so fast forward a little bit he was moved from Monash Hospital to Kingston Hospital it's like a rehab uh, hospital and it's there where he probably made the most progress. I remember, like, he started wiggling his toes and, like, slow, slightly moving his arms a bit. And, like, every moment of progression like that, I would feel, like, an overwhelming amount of joy and hope. Um, it was just so, like, surreal to me at the time, just seeing him, like, even move, like, a tiny little bit more each day um and that's like essentially what kept me like hopeful and going like for this process and um when he was at kingston like he he started remembering names again which was really good like he remembered me my sister my mom like just little moments like that would just bring me so much joy Mm. how how did you um process i guess everything that that had started from uh, the rupture to yeah. m- him moving from the ICU to Kingston? Uh-huh. So a lot of things hit me at once when that happened. Firstly was like now both my parents can't work because my mom has to take care of my dad and my dad obviously will lose his job. So it, this was in my final year of uni. I was like, someone needs to pay the bills like someone needs to you know bring income to the house and like at first i checked like my dad's super and stuff and there was just nothing there like it was essentially nothing and even like his savings like it was it wasn't enough so that's why i decided to get that casual job at nab so i literally in, in the interviews for, like, all my NAB jobs, like, I poured my heart out in the interview. Like, I literally talked as if my life was on the line for those interviews uh, because I was so desperate to get income. And, um, yeah, like, providing income for, like, a family at, like, a young age whilst doing uni is pretty tough. How old are you now? I'm 22 now. But my God. I did it. I uh, first started doing it, like, at the start of the last year. And, yeah, just... It's tough because um, my dad handled all the bills, right? So I had to go look through all his passwords and stuff and um, just see, like, what do we need to pay, you know? 
Um, that includes like phone bills, like uh, internet, um, car insurance, like everything. Like I've stacked it all in a spreadsheet and it's just a number at the bottom that I need to pay, you know. Uh, that was pretty daunting for me. Honestly, I don't, I don't even know how I got through it. It's just like the sheer will to survive. Like not for my survival, but my family's survival, you know. Because I knew if I didn't step up, like who else is going to do this? Who else is going to pay the bills? Who else is going to like do all this shit? Because my mum, like she's not the most literate person. Like she's fob. She's hella fob, man. <laughs> like, um, so I guess it just fell onto me. And like my little sister, like she's kind of like, kind of like too young for this, you know. Like maybe she's not too young, but... I always have the feeling that I should be providing and I should be protecting her, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. As a big brother as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's such a powerful like stance that you've adopted in your family and I'm sure both mum and dad would be really proud of you and yeah. like what you've been able to do for them. Far out. Like, I'm getting emotional thinking yeah. about it. I just couldn't fathom something happening to my family as well and... and like you're so strong for like being able to step up when you absolutely needed to and you should be so proud of yourself as well um thank you brother no it, it's all good if you if you need a minute like yeah nah let me know. Okay. um so what what was the process like like what have you had to do for your dad and for your mum other than uh financially um other than financially uh, I had to apply for the NDIS as well. I have no idea what it stands for, but it's like National Disability Something Scheme, maybe. And um, it's just so that we get government funding for when he transitions back home, which he has. So what we have is a hospital bed at home, and it's continually like pumping air into the mattress. And it's um, it shifts around a lot so that it doesn't let his blood clot because like he'll be lying in bed the whole day because um to this day he's still um not able to move from the neck down so he can only move his head his um fingers and his toes like that's it so essentially like me and my mum we have to do everything for him uh, we do have carers on most days like during the day but at night it'll just be me and mum so what I'll have to do is I'll lift him up when he needs to go to the toilet and then mum will like wipe him, wipe him down and clean him. And um, when he needs a shower, he needs to be brought down onto a chair and then we'll just have to like hand clean him, you know. Um, and when he goes to the toilet, we have to literally put a condom on him and attach it to a tube. And then when he pees, it goes into the tube and like into a packet and we just empty that like every night. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of manual work. And um, mentally, he's still not all there, which is pretty hard because um, constantly throughout the day, he'll just, like, yell and, like, swear and, like, be it. But, like, I know he's just, like, frustrated because he, he there's so many things he wants to say, but he just can't say it. So he just, like, uh, he just, like, keeps yelling and screaming. And I guess it does bleed into my work a little bit when I work at home because my room is so directly opposite of his and like I can hear it and like I do feel like I, I don't know what the feeling is it's like when when I'm in a meeting like I have to mute, mute myself because I don't want people to hear that 
You know what I mean? Mm. How how have you gone about um, uh, and and thank you again for opening up about it. It's, it's okay. such a like, it's okay. powerful story that I don't wish upon like anyone at all. And yeah, like you've been so brave about it. In terms of like your friends or people around you, like were you quite open about it, or were you some were you like this is something that I should keep secret to myself or, and my family only and deal mm. with it myself. In the first year, I wasn't very vocal about it. I just literally disappeared off the map, just mm-hmm. so I can, um, just so I can focus on looking after my family. What I should have done was reach out to people right away. I feel like if anyone's going through this, like you need to talk to people about it because there is no way you can handle this burden on your own. It is just too much. Like I've broken down so many times just trying to handle it on my own. Like it affected. Literally, it affected my lifting. Like, I quit powerlifting because of this. I quit for maybe, like, half a year, maybe a bit longer. And uh, it probably affected my relationship as well because um, I was just I was just at rock bottom and it was affecting her as well. Yeah, and I guess all your time would be invested into your family, like, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. As well. It was just, it was just hard to convince myself that I was happy, you know. But... It, it takes time to learn that and you only reach that by going out and just talking to your mates about it. Yeah, and I think, uh, I guess this applies to any any situation where you are feeling down, like it doesn't hurt to reach out and, and yeah. seek advice from other people, whether they be close to you or like whether they be on like um, helplines or anything. Like yeah. help is always there for you and um, I think that's a really important thing that, people need to understand mm-hmm. absolutely um i think reaching out to people you know like especially different people you get like different perspectives on the situation like don't just rely on one person you know just um try to hear what everyone has to say and f- about health lines like i've tried uh reaching one of the helplines before uh for me personally like it didn't work that well like i felt like there wasn't really a connection to the person I was speaking to. Yeah, and and you'll yeah. find that because it because it is a phone line, I guess, yeah, and yeah. it's like an anonymous person across the phone. Yeah. Um. In yeah, uh, find yeah. what works for you, but exactly. yeah, wherever you can get help, I guess. Yeah, and that's not to say like helplines are bad. Like if you are taking the step to reach out the helpline, like I'm so proud of you. Like whoever has done that, like taking steps just to do anything really helps. 